This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. Oh, this is Jesse. And I'm Julie from Forgotten Classics. All right. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. you Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome back. Um, we were talking about, we, we had no more uh, recent arrivals this week, uh, but we're going to talk about some new releases because Audible Frontiers is hard at it again. Have you guys uh, been listening to anything from Audible Frontiers lately? Uh, I nope. just downloaded uh, something from Audible, but it's it's uh, from BBC Audiobooks. Ah, yeah. Um, hold on. Oh, my computer just... Hyperion, <laughs> Hyperion, sorry. Hyperion is one of the ones that I'm still uh, needing to get to. Um, I, I'm told by many people that I need to hear that, hear that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been told that, too. Is that Dan Simmons? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I've read some Dan Simmons. Um so yeah, I need to I need to that's his most famous one for sure. I need to get that done. I need needs to move up my list. Um the the main ones that uh Audible Frontiers has put out, well, they're available on audible.com are David Weber's um Honor Harrington novels. I don't oh, know, yeah. have you guys read any of those? I tried to a long time ago on paper. I read about 5 or six of them uh-huh. until after a while it got so convoluted and so outrageous even for me that I just said, okay, I don't care anymore. Uh-huh. But the first two or three I would, could recommend to just about anybody. They're really good, I thought, for uh-huh. military science fiction. Yeah. Yeah, On Basilisk Station is the first one, and uh-huh. I, have not, I have not read any of them. Um, but they were recommended to me as well, though I don't read uh, military science fiction very often. Um, someone told me that... Uh, they were terrific. So uh, anyway, they've put out, uh, looks like five novels. The latest one and then the first four um, all went up you know, within a couple weeks of each other. And I know that the first volume is called On Basilisk Station. And it's, they're all narrated by Allison Johnson, who's someone uh, oh. I have. And these are Audible exclusives, huh? They are all Audible exclusives, Audible Frontiers. Yeah. It's going to make a lot of people happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the interesting thing about the Honor Harrington ones, I think, is he writes those alone, and they're very straightforward, no sense of humor, very serious, but he writes some with John Ringo, which are also military science fiction, March Upcountry in that series, which mm-hmm. are funny as can be, a completely different um, sensibility that way. Yeah, um, see, David Weber has also published uh, a book called Off Armageddon Reef, and uh, mm-hmm. that one's available from Macmillan Audio, and I'm sure that that's on Audible as well. And that's an interesting uh, book. It's uh, a little space opera-ish, um, but it's about there was a, the, the human race was attacked by aliens, and um, some of them got away, and their solution, because they can't fight these aliens, is to eliminate technology completely um so they colonize a planet and um the people that know how the technology works become priests and things you know we've heard this before but he takes it Mm -hmm. kind of a step farther where an entire religion 
used, the, the whole religion is created to control people. Um, it evolves into that. It wasn't meant to be that at the beginning, but it evolves mm-hmm. into that over generations. And um, when the aliens come knocking on the door again, um, they're, <laughs> they're not ready to fight. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems like a counterintuitive reaction to an alien attack, is uh-huh. get rid of anything that could be helpful. Yeah, the, their idea but, was if, if they eliminate technology, they will never be detected. That was their... Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, was well, their the other thing, though, that's interesting is this is a common theme of his in terms of um, he likes to do things where there, are, there are, is always the technologically advanced good guys... And then there are the people who are usually either against the technology or against capitalism or against – it's as if he took, like, you know, say, the communists. Mm-hmm. It's always the communists with him. Uh-huh. And um, so he'll have in um, the March Up Country series, it's the saints. And they go around eliminating technology except for their warships and stuff, of course – and uh, fighting anybody who has it. And in the Honor Harrington ones, they're really a, more of a socialist, communistic enemy. And he'll show it from both sides. So you can see how bad it is on the other side. Mm. He's definitely always making a statement that way. But, it, you know, whatever. Right, right, um, right. The on Basilisk station is, you know, a young woman promising cadet in the um, officer line gets put into a very compromising spot that nobody thinks anybody could possibly ever attack there she's been sent there as you know punishment and guess what of course that's where they go the enemy goes but it's really it's really well done i think that book as a standalone book if somebody wanted to try out his stuff would be a good one my favorite is the march up country one but anyway Uh uh-huh you bet all right did you guys spot the um the three theodore sturgeon uh, short, yeah, short but I was just going to bring that up. There. Them and uh, the Theodore Sturgeons and the Nancy Cress ones um, are actually Blackstone titles um, that are... I, I talked to Halo Williams at Blackstone, and they're, they will be coming out in hard copy. Um, so they're, yeah, not, they ex- they're not exclusive, they're just early. Um, <clears throat> but More Than Human by Theodore Sturgeon, mm-hmm. narrated by Stefan Rudnicki and Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison is a wonderful narrator for anyone who hasn't heard him. Um, let's see, what are the other ones? Venus Plus X and To Marry ah, Medusa. That's it, yep. And there's only one review of all three of them out so far, um, and it's not very high, but um, mm-hmm. I do like Theodore Sturgeon's writing, so. Yeah, me too. Yep. And then um, Nancy Cress. They've got uh, Beggars in Spain. Yeah, there's uh, which a bunch is of the, ones. The, yeah, the novel version of Beggars in Spain. Wasn't that... Uh, yeah, that was, it was uh, released by... Um, Infinivox. Infinivox, right, the uh, short version. Not an abridged version, but the short version. <laughs> there's a difference. Um, then Beggars and Choosers and Beggars Ride, um, mm-hmm. all from Blackstone Audio, all on Audible. Um, another one that caught my eye this week was uh, Children of Men by P.D. James. I've seen the movie, but I, I haven't read the uh, book. I, I think I did a review of the audiobook for a moment. Oh, the book's fantastic. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Read by Julian Glover. Um, it looks like um, it could be a recorded book's title. 
I, me, I don't think it was Julian no, Glover. No, BBC. Did. It's a BBC uh, yeah. America book. Yeah, I think um, almost everybody's done a version of that now, uh-huh. uh, all the different companies. Well, that's interesting. Is that a public domain novel? No, it's not. Oh, no. Um, it's just very popular. Yeah. Yeah, and... It's mainstream, um, right? It's not science fiction. It's mainstream. Right. Right. <laughs> because P.D. James wrote writes mysteries, or right. wrote. I, she's still alive, I think. Yeah. But she writes a lot of mysteries that are kind of procedural, I think. And um, this was her anomalous book. If that's the right word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Great. Hey, and um, Rollback by Robert J. Sawyer is also on Audible from Recorded Books. Um, been waiting for that one to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're going to release uh, Wake. That's his latest novel. That's going to come out here pretty soon, too. Not very impressed by the cover art on that. Rollback. No, <laughs> just words. <laughs> just yeah. the words, or the word, rollback. Nah, you know, there's little design and stuff, but uh. really, it's it's a, it's almost like um, the more popular they want the book to be, the less they do the art. Mm-hmm. Everybody reading it, we'll just put nothing on the cover. <laughs> yeah, maybe love it. maybe they're afraid that they'll put people off if they you know try to interpret something in there, the regular reader. Mm-hmm. They're trying to lure them in because they want it to look like an action book or something. I think yeah. those are more the kind that usually, you know, thrillers. They just have big words on them. Use your imagination to figure out what the book's about. Well, the last thing I wanted to mention on Audible is that the BBC has posted a bunch of Doctor Who titles. So there, oh, yeah. there's, you know, if you like Doctor Who... You can find yourself uh, plenty of them. Doctor Who? Doctor Who? Doctor Who? Who's there? <laughs> <laughs> um, are those uh, dramatizations, though? or are they I believe that they are. They're dramatizations. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I can't play the, uh, the new uh, enhanced audio. Well, actually, I could on my iPhone probably, but I haven't tried that. But uh, my question was, they don't say the word stereo in there. So I, I don't know for sure if it's stereo, but um, Audible and Audio, audio Drama, um, I don't think they've mixed well up to date. They anyway would advertise because, it if it was stereo. Yeah, it's because it, it needs to be stereo. Audio Drama needs to be stereo. They do so many things with that. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, I don't know if the BBC America does that, but, um, um, you know, Yuri Rozovsky and Harlan Ellison and Stefan Rudnicki, they, they did this uh, series called uh, 2000X, and they're all available on Audible. In fact, I think that's the only place you can get them now. Um, but they're not in stereo, and, and though they're good, you know, they're extremely good, not in stereo, like, you know, just because they're good. But when you listen to them in stereo, it just blows you away. Especially uh, Reprint Harlequin Said the TikTok Man. That's one of my favorite ones. It's a good one. And um, Buy, Your, Buy His Bootstraps by yep. Robert A. Heinlein starring Richard Dreyfuss. Yep. That is <laughs> fabulous. Uh, you, you need stereo. I mean, it has to be on stereo. It's, it's great. You know, because uh, that, that one is like a, 
uh, almost like a Mobius loop or whatever where he, uh, he keeps folding back on himself. So um, Richard Dreyfus will be talking to Richard Dreyfus, and sometimes there's more than two of him there. <laughs> and, the, and the subtle way that that's done in, in audio, um, Yuri Rizovsky, the way he uh, he did that, you can tell who's who by kind of where they are. You know, that's the only way I can say it is where they are when yeah. you're listening to them. You know, um, yeah. But it's extremely subtle. But it doesn't come through on the on the audible version because it's not in stereo. Um, oh. Still highly recommended, but. Um, stereo version uh, they need to re-release that on cd and it's not available right now yeah definitely mm-hmm. i'm looking at one more title here from a n- looks like a new publisher called spoken books publishing um the author is lee geiger and the title is dr wasserman's time chamber preventing armageddon um mm. Description is Atlantic City, 1992. Dan Grossman comes across a story that sounds incredible. Did the South really win the Civil War? Did a lone physicist really go back in time and prevent Armageddon? Or is it just a delusional dream of an acknowledged schizophrenic? What you've been listening to? <laughs> Lamentation, lamentation. I've been reading that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you can say lamentation like that. Oh, okay. It's, it's like very lamentation. High, you know. <laughs> there you go. Except the book left me feeling so excited about this whole. Um, well, I I guess five volumes. I was going to say trilogy, but I see on the box it says Orson Scott Card says I wish my first novel had been this good. I wish all five volumes of this series were already published so I could read them. And I agree. Um, for one thing, I found it hard to believe this was somebody's first novel, although he may have written so many short stories that that was practice for him. But this book starts off with, I'm trying to think how to describe it, because they say it's an epic, and it actually winds up being an epic, but I don't like that description because you think of huge armies and, you know, uh, a lot of big events that are far away from you, and... It starts off with a huge column of smoke going up from the city of Windware, which has been destroyed, and they tell you the points of view of four different people who are observing it from different places. There's Rodolfo, he's the lord of the ninefold houses and the Gypsy King, which is an intriguing name, and then there's Lady Jin Lee Tam, who is the consort to a, well, I can only describe him as a madman who you get the feeling really had something to do with it. He's certainly gloating over it. There's uh, Nev, who is a 14 or 15-year-old boy who watched it, and he has been left thinking, but he cannot even express himself because he's so horrified by what he saw, by the destruction. And then there's, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name, an old fisherman, who I should be able to remember his name, and I'm sorry I don't have my notes with me. But he gets ready to go and explore and see what happened. And as these different people tell their stories, and it's told by a different narrator for each person, we start to see a little bit about them. We learn by inference and by just a little information what is their society like, what might have led to this. And nobody can understand why the city would have been destroyed because it's really the center for the Andro-Francine order of the church, 
And they are like the, would it have been the medieval monks that basically were just concerned with saving knowledge. Mm-hmm. As you go along, you find out that these people, in general, in the named lands, as they call them, came from somewhere else as a result of a horror that was visited upon mankind by technology of some sort that led to the laughing madness. And every time they say it, you can really just see the capitals, the laughing madness. So it was really awful. They left, and the Androfrancines started saving the knowledge and sending out archaeologists to gather knowledge from ruined places, but they very carefully let the other people have the technology as they deem them developed enough. So Sounds another like disaster. A bit. Kind yeah, so would you call it science except, fiction or would you call it fantasy or would you call it science fantasy I, or w- w- how would you categorize I, it? It's really more like fantasy because what happens is, and the thing I like is I was really afraid when I saw it had four narrators. It's read by Scott Brick, William Dufresne, Maggie Meg Reed, and Stefan Rudnicki. I can't ever say his name, but, you know, really top-notch. Yeah, that yeah, is a superior. notch yeah. And what they do, though, is each section of the book is told by from a different person's point of view. So that person just reads it. And actually, what starts to become interesting in the narration is as you know the different characters and you hear them talking about the other people, how they're interpreting those people's voices when they read it starts to give you almost different insights into the characters back and forth, I think. Yeah. It was really, really great. And what what also becomes interesting is that the way he took different, to me, way, the way he took different types of society and blended them, for one thing, Francine monks are like, you know, a medieval point of view, saving this culture that's being lost to the barbarians or whatever. The... Um, in fact, they even they don't have technology to the point where they send messenger birds back and forth for communication. Mm. And but they also there are robots called uh, mecho servitors. Not a lot, but so there's that technology which has been found and used again to a slight degree. So you also have this futuristic feeling because of the robots and the technology that they can't have. So like you say, it's kind of like Foundation or a book where you're kind of looking to the past as they're developing again. And um, it almost also, Rodolfo, they call him the Gypsy King, but I was left feeling like a Robin Hood-ish feel, not because he goes around giving to the poor, but he is kind of a roving band of, you know, his people are roving in a way, and they're heavily based in the woodlands. So you kind of get a feel like you're watching a Robin Hood movie when you're reading about his places. And um, the the thing I found really most interesting, and I, you know, I wish I'd written the review first. So I was a little more organized in how I present it. But as each person talks and you learn a little bit more, you realize partway into it, oh, it is an epic, but it's told so personally on such a small scale from each person's point of view that don't feel like you're just thrust into this huge story it's unfolded very very carefully and there were three or four points i was listening to this as i was driving uh on a long drive and at several points i found myself saying oh my gosh out loud because he had done something you just didn't expect there was a connection there was a revelation and it was made very quietly but you just went oh that's huge 
right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing, the only other thing I wanted to say about it is that the thing I like about this is you know there are going to be five books because Orson Scott Card mentioned it, and they probably say it somewhere else, but um, he doesn't leave everything wide open. Like some books leave it, you know, 30 different uh, cliffhangers going. Pretty much is wrapping things up, but he leaves two or three different things where something new has suddenly developed. So, again, you're going, oh, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. And that's what he ended the book on. He suddenly started talking about something else that was connected, and you went, I never thought about that. Wow. Oh, yeah. So, it was really (laughs) so masterfully done, I thought. Um, I'll be interested to hear what you think, Scott, when you've read it. Yeah, I'm going to start it later today. Um, and I've noticed too, it's not a giant book. It's about uh, 350 no. pages. So um, what's that? 10, 12 hours? Yeah. 15. Yeah, maybe? it was 12 CDs okay. and or 11 CDs, 11? I think. Okay. And it comes across. So yeah, and he packs so much into it that I was surprised it was so short. But again, I think that's the sign of a good writer. Yeah, and a, I'm sorry to take good... Jesse's side on this. <laughs> I've never read uh-huh. George R. Martin, but uh-huh. is that the person who goes on and on well he's he's writing big fat fantasies it's really the fat the fat fantasy genre um, well you take a listen to this Uh i haven't read him so i can't really say but i'm Uh saying this is this packs a whole lot really well really interestingly into something that's not huge so you don't feel like you're you can't tackle it you know Uh i think yeah that's true What makes it fantasy exactly, though? You didn't, like, mention anything well, that was very... Um, well, fantastic. I guess... It could be like a planetary romance where they they just don't... I mean, you've got robots, you've got... Um, um, well, the whole idea of these birds that they send back and forth, they'll whisper something, and the bird will know exactly who it's supposed to go to and what message it's... I mean, I don't... Fantasy... That's just true. Well, it's not science fiction. It's yeah, well, right, but it's not science fiction. Um, well, they, well, it could well, be like alternate alternate universe, I guess. I think it's the fact of, you know, they're talking about the named lands. And, yeah, that does um, feel like fantasy, certainly. Yeah, and the different blendings of, you know, it's that medieval, less technologically advanced, but came from something else, although I guess that's not really fantasy. I don't. It just had that feel to me. It's really... It's really uncategorizable mm-hmm. um, to me. The only the only name that was sort of um, from Earth uh, would be the Gypsy King, right? Um, the only Rudolfo. Gypsy, yeah, I mean that that sort of you know Italian, oh. European, Spanish sort of thing. Yeah. But, well, um, also, I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say um, it doesn't sound like. Uh, um, doesn't sound like he's just going to trick you by saying, you know, at the end of the five books, and we're really thousands of <laughs> In Italy. Yeah. No, you get the feeling there were blasted wastes out there, and there was a good reason they were only letting you have so much information. And the other thing is, everybody pretty much trusts them to do that. They don't really question that. And everyone also seems to be in the service of the light. And I haven't read the book, but I always get the feeling the light was capitalized, and that was knowledge and truth with a capital T mm-hmm. and a lot of what everyone is doing is all based on their desire to be true to the light you know which is basically good and hold back the dark 
And it's not as if they're entities necessarily, but the church is, the Catholic church, pretty much in a new incarnation because I remember the name of the other, one of the other characters um, is Petros. And that's definitely like, you know, that wouldn't that be father or something related to that in Italian or Latin? Mm -hmm. And um, they have a pope and that kind of thing. And it's not set up exactly the same way, but it kind of is. And I don't know. It's just like an alternate view universe kind of thing. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I realize that's inconclusive. It's, it's, it seems like inspired by history as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely a lot of machination going on. Oh, my goodness. And I I probably spoiled something somewhere, but I've been trying not so. to because so. no, as things unfold, you just start, it's these, it's almost on a renaissance level in terms of, you know, and this person's doing this and that person's doing that. And the governments are actually city-states, and a lot of what they do is involved by trade. And um, I haven't even talked about all the characters. So the other thing is Scott Brick does the heavy lifting in terms of when a character comes up who's not one of these four main ones, he reads that part. Mm-hmm. And I like Scott Brick. Well, I liked all these people. Is it, Was it told first person? Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I noticed well, um, flipping through the book, I don't have the book in front of me, but I noticed when I was looking at it last night, um, the actual print book, that the parts are actually small. I mean, yeah. they, they flip between narrators quite often. Yeah, they do. And actually, I guess it's not first person. It's always from their point of view, but it's not I, I, I. It will be, it's you know, Rodolfo, Rodolfo looked, yeah, looked out on the plane and blah, blah, blah. But they always, it, it was very good for a narrator from a narration point of view, in terms of, it always start off, Rodolfo. Isn't that, Rodolfo. isn't that funny that sometimes we can't remember what, you know, you, you read, read a novel and then you say, huh, I'm not sure if it was first person, but, <laughs> uh, even though, you know, the whole thing has been, I did this, I did that, or he did this, he did that, or, um, you know, over the shoulder, so you, you'll, you don't see any thoughts, you only see actions. But you know it was good, and you know what happened, but you don't know how it was told to you. I know. Well, and you wind up, it's it's so well done, you feel like you wind up knowing these people pretty well, and so you were in their heads. But, yeah, it's kind of the over-the-shoulder, but the, you do know what they're thinking. Okay. So it's omniscient, you know. uh, close. Uh, yeah, yeah, it will, yeah, exactly. Rodolfo was looking out over the plane, and then he thought this. But you, know. you don't know what the other characters are thinking when you're hanging out with them. No, and when they take up the storytelling, they don't really overlap, or if they do, it's not by very much. It's sequential from that person's point of view. It's a very interesting way to tell it, I think. Mm-hmm. And and it was wonderful for listening to, just wonderful, because not only were the narrators great, but because of that frequent changing of point of view and the way the plot unfolded you just were you were kept awake and alert and interested the whole time <laughs> so that's good especially when you're driving around yes yeah when you're on a seven hour drive it's very handy by yourself it's very handy so mm-hmm. i recommend it for that yeah I'm, I'm listening to dune right now i'm almost finished with it the macmillan audio version mm-hmm. and um as i'm listening to it you know it was written i think in 1965 um, it's it's got uh, an omniscient viewpoint, meaning yeah. you know he's in everyone's head at any time. Um, 
you know, the there time, doesn't yeah. seem to be a real point of view to it at all. And, and that struck me as I was listening to it this time around. Um, it's not very common anymore. No. Um, mm-hmm. It's like they leave that for the movies, uh, you know. Although Frank Herbert does get in people's heads almost, almost to the point of annoyance. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't need to hear their every thought, you know, Dune, Arrakis, yeah. Desert Planet. Um, well, I think uh, one of the things that shows in that book is, is um, you're dealing with a ton of very competent people, a ton of very intelligent people. I don't think there's anybody in that, in, in the entire Dune book that is like uh, useless or, uh-huh. uh, you know, like I, I guess one of the Harkonnens is not super bright, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. basically they're all like, you know, they're at the maximal end of human excellence or whatever, so it makes makes for uh, you know a, a giant chess match in mm-hmm. every conversation. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and um, you, you, you I, I don't know. This is a, this is spoiler. If anybody has not read Dune and want to, then um, uh, fast forward about sixty seconds. <laughs> but, <laughs> but one of the things that struck me was, you know, well, I guess I can do this without quite spoiling, um, because you know who the traitor is. But some yeah. of the characters don't. And, and usually the tension is, who's the traitor? But in this one, it's the tension is, these people don't know who that is. And, and they trust the him. And they trust him, right. And, um, yeah. you know, with the, with the viewpoints that most authors use now, um, that's a hard thing, harder thing to pull off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, I did it without spoilers. Except for that, you know, it's a traitor. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I said him, so sorry about yeah. that. Oh, don't. No, but uh, that's early on, you know. Who but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of guys in that book, so mm-hmm. it's okay. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, but Little do they know that it's really Paul Atreides. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Unbeknownst, it's been planted in his memory. That's right. Well, that's, yeah. And this is an interesting book, right too, from the narration standpoint, is... Um, you know, it's a full cast thing. You know, um, they've dropped all the attributives, so there's no uh, he exclaimed or whatever. They let the <laughs> actors just say their thing. And then um, Simon Vance does the narrating in between. Um, Simon Vance does the narrating in between. And then um, I noticed last night I was listening to a little bit of it. And I, I realized Simon Vance is reading the whole thing now. Um, he was reading all the characters and doing everything. There was a conversation between, um, I think it was uh, Gurney Halleck and Lady Jessica, and he was reading the whole thing. There was no Lady so Jessica it, actor, and there was no uh, Gurney Halleck actor. So I, I was like, what the heck? And then it went back into, um, <laughs> in the next thing, you know, you have a scene with the shout-out Mapes and them, and there's actors again. So I, I don't really know what the scoop is there, but I need to uh, how figure odd. it out. But what's interesting is that um, Simon Vance is so good. I mean, he's just one of the, the top narrators. You know, he was doing voices for him. And he's not the person who does, um, like, Lady Jessica normally. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, it was very odd. Um, I, I don't know why that was, but, uh, huh. yeah. I don't think I've ever heard him narrate anything, so... Oh, he's terrific. British, British. In fact, that's funny, because I wanted to to mention, you said that in Lamentation, you know, you kept getting surprised and saying, oh my gosh, you know, 
Uh, mm-hmm. One of the ones that I've done that, the, the, that that happened in was narrated by Simon Vance, and it was called The Prestige by Christopher Priest. Oh, and, that um, they made the movie from. Yeah, that they made the movie from. And even if mm-hmm. you've seen the movie, um, this book is different enough to where it's a completely different experience. It, they just give you almost a, a glossing of it. Um, the, the novel is told in, a, in like, uh, journal entries. So you've got, oh, you've okay. got these two guys, and they are rivals in magic um, back in the 19th century. And yeah. they, uh, they're writing in their journal about stuff. And through the journals, you, you realize things about their character that are revealed slowly. Oh. Like he, he will say something in a certain way, and I remember one point rewinding and saying, "Did he just say what I thought he said?" You know, because he used the, he he referred to himself. He said, um, "He referred to himself in a way that's not normal." And huh. um, yeah, I just had to. I was just like, "Wow!" And then you you know, with that revelation, you start to understand. And then um, I you know I didn't see the movie until after I I heard the book and. Uh, the movie was good. I, I enjoyed the movie, but yeah. um, it wasn't the book. I was really As is so often the case. you know. I, yeah, and I watched the movie, and I was not that thrilled by it. I mean, mm. all the acting was good and all that, but I didn't really ever feel a connection to either one of the characters. Mm-hmm. They both annoyed me greatly for different reasons, and therefore I didn't really care what happened to them. And it sounds like the book might overcome that yeah, problem it, that I had. Yeah, it, it really does. It's uh, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite audiobooks of all time. Huh? Yeah. I'll have to look for that. Just because, yeah, when, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I trying not to spoil it. I yeah, clearly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen the movie, so that's probably the big spoiler. Well, but, it's um, actually it not. Wasn't, it's I'd actually please. not because it is different okay. enough. It's different enough. Um, it, 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 it's complex. What happens is complex, and they couldn't. Okay. They couldn't I, do it, it on the movie. There's no way they. Could I wrote do it down. I yeah. wrote it down, and um, and does it have Tesla in it? Because you know yep. that's one of our family's much, much favorite part. people is part. Tesla. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know what? what I David liked Bowie as Tesla was brilliant. I like that. Okay. Well, that was <laughs> yes. Well, what and like I say, it was well made. I was interested uh-huh. in watching it. But I just felt I I didn't care about any of those mm-hmm. people, and the fact that I didn't care that left me just an, an observer. And mm-hmm. to me, a movie should be doing a little more than that right. for me to yep. care. You know. What, so. what I what I really liked about it was it was it was playing with a different the movie. I'm talking about the movie because I haven't read the book, but uh-huh. the the movie makes you think it's a drama. Starts off as a drama, then you you change sides. You say, wait a second, this is a fantasy. And then you mm-hmm. realize, oh my God, this is hard science fiction. This is hard <laughs> science fiction, and it's very noir. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God, and that change was the was the main thing. Well, I mean, the characters are not likable. Well, that's the wasn't the, that the Nolans who did that? Yeah. Or am I just thinking that because of Christian Bale? Because he's you know no, one of their favorites. Yeah, and they're brilliant. I mean, I yeah. really like their movies. They're good at anything they do that way, but. They just weren't interested in having me care about any of those people, and you know I just yeah, needed I'm, to. I'm not going to say <laughs> that they're likable in the book either. You know they. they no, they're I, I understand. 
So I might hate them both. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, you might. Fine. Because their, their motives are uh, greed and uh, uh, yeah. prestige. One-upmanship. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm willing to read a book that way much more than I'm willing to watch a movie that way. A movie engages you differently, mm-hmm. to, I think. I don't know. Yeah. So. Right, right. So <laughs> I, I see you recently reviewed um, Michael Flynn's The January Dancer. Yes, it devastated me that I didn't love it. Uh-huh. I wanted to. Uh-huh. So, I, I love Michael Flynn, so... Yeah. Well, his writing, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I could have a slight crush on him, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, that's, we were talking about... Um, I think my point in that was they don't write space opera like they used to. Mm-hmm. And I, it could just be that Michael Flynn is a little bit too much of an intellectual writer to really let go and shorten it up and toughen it up for that, hey, maybe? Shorten it up. Toughen it up, man. <laughs> well, for, shorten for, tough. You know, it's like the advice that John Bon Jovi's agent gave him, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Mm-hmm. That's space opera to me. And if I hadn't listened to a lot of old ones recently at, like, uh, was it SciPod Books? Yeah. Um, Mark Nelson. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple from LibriVox, I think. I don't think I would have noticed it. Uh-huh. But I was really finding myself, time and again with these old ones, they, they were action-filled, they got to the point, they didn't worry about how people felt, generally. They might, because it's space opera. But, you know, they were drinking, they were having sex everywhere, they were smoking, there were drugs, and I went, wow, we've really gotten so wussified <laughs> in a lot of these books that get written soft, you know? Yeah. So what, what's um, an example of a, a space opera of the, that older type? Like, what about Philip Jose Farmer's uh, The Green Odyssey, mm-hmm. you okay. think? Or, um, I was, I keep it's wanting more to say of a planetary romance because I don't think he leaves the planet on that one. But, but well, it's got yeah, it. yeah, it's you're right. I guess um, you now, mentioned Space Vulture. I haven't read that one. Oh, that's a, oh yeah, that's, that's actually a new one, huh? Did you read it? No, Scott? I never did get to it. Darn it! I have it I, right here. <laughs> I, it's it's oh. another one that it. Really, I loved it. In fact, I need to write just a regular review of it, but because um, I didn't listen to it, I don't think they have an audio version. And I, I meant to no, write to the authors and see if there was any way they didn't already have that under contract, and they'd let me read it for my podcast Ooh, when I'm be. done with Uncle Tom's Cabin, which will take you know years. But uh, it was the old style. Duke it out, kind of Buck Rogerish in the kind of villain that they had. It wasn't perfect because you know there's a huge thing that's I think supposed to be a surprise at the end, and once they've mentioned it twice from different points of view, you're like, oh, got it. <laughs> but this was written by Gary Wolf and Archbishop John J. Myers, and um, they were boyhood friends in Illinois, and they loved space opera or you know old-fashioned sci-fi. And so they got together and wrote this book. And I was surprised at how good it was until I was looking at Gary Wolf's, uh, he wrote, what was it, Roger Rabbit. It's What was it called for the book, Who Erased Roger Rabbit or something like that? It's, it got turned into the movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. 
So he's been writing for a while, and um, this is, it's straightforward. It's an adventure. Now, every so often they would surprise me because I'd just be reading along and this woman would be going, oh, yes, and she and her husband met in church. And I'm like, what? Church? And then I go, oh, right, Archbishop John J. Myers, got it. <laughs> but, it, you know, that it was very infrequent, that kind of thing. And it wasn't, you know, trying to push any agenda other than here's an adventure. Let's have fun. So, um, the space vulture is a horrible villain, a la, you know, what was it? Was it Emperor Ming in Buck Rogers? Just the most horrendous kind yeah, of yeah. heartless person you could imagine. And he likes to raid planets to get uh, settlers for slaves I to sell that was off. Flash Gordon. Okay, Emperor Flash Ming Gordon. Flash You're Gordon, right. Yeah. I'm very weak on the <laughs> on that stuff. I just have the clips in my head. No, I just yeah, and, I just remember the movie. Yeah, well, see, yeah. <laughs> my my education is incomplete. <laughs> so, but yeah, at one yeah. point he scoops up a bunch of settlers, and among them is the dauntless champion of justice, Galactic Marshal Victor Corsair, Woo! who's gonna fight his way out along with the woman sheriff of the town. And her little kids have been left behind with a scoundrel who they have to get help them to get off the planet and save their lives. So, right. adventure galore. Yeah, Victor great. Corsair, I mean, that's, that's a super space opera name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and he's a galactic marshal? A, Come oh, on. Yeah, yeah, it's like, name your kid Dirk Freebooter or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Basically, you can't yeah. go wrong with a name yeah. like that. Well, and I just finished last night. I don't no, I you know I didn't think to look up if this was in audio or not. I read a review of this book called Grim Space by Anne Agua. That's how you say it. On um, uh, what is it? The SF Signal or SF Site? I can't remember. I'll find a link and I'll send it to you. Anyway, she had said this was the closest book to Firefly that she'd ever read. And I immediately got it from the library. Oh, man. Being a (laughs) huge Firefly fan. Mm -hmm. And I do see what she means. It's got that gritty feel to it. And everybody's not all good. And they're constantly fighting. They're good and bad sides. But it's about in um, this version of space... Certain people have the ability to jump ships through grim space. That's how they get somewhere fast. You have to have a carrier. You're a carrier of a rare gene if you do it. And this, when it opens up, this woman named Jax is under psychiatric evaluation because she crashed an entire ship full of diplomats, and they want her to admit she did it, but she can't remember a thing about it. And then she's broken out by some mysterious guy who says, well, I'll help you get out of here, because they're essentially torturing her, really, to get the the admission. And uh, he wants her to join his, as it says, small band of rogue fighters to break the core monopoly on interstellar travel and establish a new breed of jumper. And this is also space opera. Um, actually, that kind of reminds me of another space opera series that... Um has something similar. Uh, the Gap into Conflict, uh, or the Gap series by Stephen Donaldson. Um, that's really, uh, there's two, there's, I think, three or four books in the series, and the uh, the first two were done as audiobooks, but very heavily abridged, and uh, people who have listened to them will actually uh, 
find our music very familiar for the <laughs> intro of the podcast here. Um, but uh, the um, the main theme of that is it's you know it's small ships doing a lot of mining. Uh, Earth's basically the only inhabitable planet, and everywhere else is just like space space colonies uh, on on board little space space outposts or whatever. Um, and they're doing a lot of mining, but uh, when you jump between uh, planets or between stars, you have uh, a chance, a one in hundred chance or so, of going crazy, and that's basically mm-hmm. what drives the, the plot of the story is is occasionally people will go crazy in strange ways so they, they don't you know everybody's strapped down so that after they're they're gone through the flight they're uh they can check and make sure they're not eating their you know their own lips or whatever oh. <laughs> um uh, but one of the people who goes through this she's fine right but uh until her ship comes un- under heavy g under heavy accelerations, then she goes crazy, and she she actually blows up her own her own family spaceship, oh. uh, and um, and a really mean uh, uh, miner comes after her, and he implants a uh, like a robotic, uh, not robotic, a remote control device in her brain uh, to prevent her from from doing that. You know, you you can sort of put someone on pause. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but also, he uses her like a slave. Um, and her goal, her motivation is to get that remote control so she can control herself, put herself <laughs> on pause, you know. Uh, and get revenge for um, this mean guy, you know, killing the rest of his her family after she blew up her own ship. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, that sounds interesting. You, yeah, Stephen Donaldson? No, that's yeah, the, same, the same guy who wrote Lord Fowl's Bane. And, yep. And that's what I was going to ask. Yep. yep. Yeah, no, you, um, I don't know if we mentioned this on the podcast before, but Scott Brick um, has oh, a website, yeah. and he's personally publishing uh, those books, Lord Fowles mm-hmm. Bane. And, no, I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah. Is it scottbrickpresents.com? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got I, a whole... I, I think you've got at least a few of them available now. Um, you can get them straight yeah. through that website. Well, and he's got a whole series that of different books that he's doing because he just came out with recently with Frankenstein from the original version of the Ooh, book, uh-huh. which I'm dying to get my hands on. Be if popular. only he had any money. But um, he also is doing a trilogy that he spoke about so eloquently because he'll write a blog post, but he'll also do it in audio. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen. Mm-hmm. And um, it's called the Phoenix Trilogy by M. K. Ren, and he, the way he was talking about it, it almost sounded like on a scale of lamentation. So well done, and I cannot get my hands on that first book. And uh, the, <laughs> I would love to be able to buy the his version of the audio book, but I'm going to put that on my birthday list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if only my husband listened to this. Mm-hmm. Huh? No? Maybe we can get you a review copy. Maybe I would can. love that. All right. Yay! Because he's my favorite. Anyway, I like I like a lot of narrators, but he's my favorite. That's true. He's so tough sounding. <laughs> Don't go prejudging it. You might you might change your mind after you hear it. Now, no, the, that's the best true. Version, the best version of Frankenstein that I've heard uh, is George Bedall. So he's got tough competition. Yeah. Well, 
the thing I found interesting about this was he was talking about specifically why he chose to do the early Frank, the early one before it was edited, and the oh. one that we've all read. Oh, I the see way that. the characters were changed a little bit, like uh-huh. Victor Frankenstein was made much, a little more noble mm-hmm. in the in the rewrite, basically, and some things like that. And that's what made me. Of course, I would like to hear him narrate it, but I was really interested in that earlier version because to LibriVox's version um, with uh, Heather from Craftlit. We'll do classic books like that also. Mm-hmm. And she's, I think I've mentioned her before. She does yeah, the sure narrate, or she does the talking about the book itself or the author. But that made me really interested to hear what were the differences mm-hmm. and did it add up to kind of a different feel for the book in general. So... Well, good. Well, what other projects have you got going, Julie? I know you're doing some uh, narration for uh, Starship Sofa, right? You're doing one of the oh, nebulous yeah. stories? Yeah, Tony, you know, he did the British science fiction stuff recently, mm-hmm. as much as they let him do. And right. now he's gotten permission, I think, to do five of the Nebula awarded stories. Oh, great. Uh, for- no, nominated, yeah. Nominated. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Nominated. I knew something I said was wrong there. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And so I read Trophy Wives for him, and now I can't find my piece of paper where I wrote down who wrote it, but you guys will know that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was an interesting it story. It was almost like a fairy tale science fiction story without being a fairy tale, really. I, I don't know. But they're supposed to come out at the end of March, he said. Okay. Great. Yeah, yeah I think the Nebula Awards are in April, or they're given in April. Okay. Yeah. So right before then, I, I think. Right. So well, that was nifty. interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like when I get to read stuff for Tony. Although the, the problem when you read stuff for Tony, I think I've said this before, he then goes, oh, here's three more stories. Will you read those? And I'm mm. like, I don't have time. Did he try and get you on Twitter? He, um, he, was, he, was, he was, Jeff Simon. You really got to get on Twitter. It's the lifeblood, man. It's the lifeblood of the community. Oh, he doesn't love me enough to ask me that. But I have so many people doing that, and I'm thinking my my thing with Twitter is, you know, pick up the phone and call someone or write That's them what an I email. Said. I said, because, just yeah. Just call me on Skype. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm going to read. I like to read something someone's put out, not that they're going to get their groceries now or that they've got the flu. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of thing people are saying, and I'm like, so I get hey, all these people. A podcast, right? <laughs> well, yeah, do a podcast, write a blog entry, tell me something that, you know, you've thought about. What What's the point? I don't care about daily schedules, and I'm sorry, that's very, yeah. and that's, I'm going to be yelled at or something no, by people. No, you yelled at. I'm on Twitter. So I get, oh, to, I get to defend Twitter. But, okay. Um, yeah, there is a lot of inane stuff that goes on, no doubt. So that's all I'll Speaking say about Twitter, that. Speaking well, uh, of Scott, did I tell you about uh, about who Twittered my auction? Oh, no, who? Uh, Neil Gaiman. Oh, did he really? <gasps> that's why the price That's why the price of that uh, thing shot up. No kidding. Um, on, on Sweet. The 13th, yeah, uh, he Twittered saying, uh, amused by this auction, and then uh, he's put a link to it, uh-huh. and then then he said, uh, good luck, kids, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was so nice of him. It went from, you know, zero bids and, uh, you know, maybe four or five hits to 
more than five thousand hits, and it's I think it's up on near fifty bucks now. So, uh-huh. oh, good. I was kind of surprised. And then I think the very next uh, Twitter he he said was, uh, how, "Coming back to the United States have to be on the Colbert Show, something like that." So it's like, oh. wow, <laughs> the power. Yeah, yeah. How many kids are in your class to divide this that, up? That was just five. That was just a group of five kids. But okay. Well, then that's good money. Well, you know, they're going to be depressed because... <laughs> yeah, they wanted 50 each. We got that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they didn't even want to share with each other. They're like, yeah. well, I read more than you did. No, you didn't. You all read the same book. <laughs> How old are these kids now? Uh, they're only 10. Okay, well, I, I was thinking that that's, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That's, you know, they're not Little wanting sun. to share. Mm-hmm. A lot of us grown-ups have that problem, so <laughs> <laughs> they're still learning. All right. But but the the main point of, of that whole thing was I wanted to try and instill some respect for books. Like I was saying, you know, mm-hmm. treat your book with respect. It yeah. has value. If you don't treat it with respect, it turns into a pile of paper that nobody wants because it's all dirty and you know mm-hmm. bent or whatever. Um, and I, I was, you know, just saying, so what? Don't, don't care, right? <laughs> because I don't have any. So I was saying, you know, look, a, a valuable signed copy by Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah, well. If you save it for when he comes to Vancouver, you can get his signature on it, and then your book's worth a lot of money. And, oh, okay, yeah. They sort of get it then. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I instilled the value of, of, objects like books and uh, posters and all that stuff in them, but now they, they only respect it as monetary value, not yeah, intrinsic value. I was going to say, they missed the main point, which is you should love it yourself first, right? Yeah. That's well, what gives or, the true know, value. You, yeah, you can't share it with your friend if it's all torn up. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's the point, is you can't say, I can't let you have this book because it means too much to me and you might mess it up. There, that actually is a problem I have, you know, like, I I have to feel like I, I'm going to lend a book to a friend, I was like, I have to teach you how to read a book here, because I want to be able to lend this to someone else when yeah. you're done with it. Yeah. I don't want the spine broken. Yeah, or the dog ears made on the pages. That's less, that's less of a problem, but breaking the spine of a book is like breaking the spine of a, a family dog. You know. then, oh, then you will appreciate my horror story, and this is when I said I am lending books to so few people, which is uh, some friends were over for dinner years ago, and this woman, who's a, who was a closer friend of mine at the time, said, "Oh, I need to, I need a good book to read." And I said, "Oh, here, this is a great book, and it was a trilogy of mysteries." And I waited and waited and waited. And about a year later, I said, "You know that book? I'd really like it back." And she goes. What book? Yeah. And I reminded her, and then she said, oh, I think I sold that at a garage sale. And I was oh like, oh, my God, no. Oh, <laughs> you took one of my babies that I'd had for years and sold it for 50 cents. And so, you know, I just thought, oh, this, you know, my world spun around me. Yeah. She's, I can't respect her the way I used to. No, you can't. Of course not. No. So it's, it's, I would lend a book to you guys because I know you get it back. But there are very few who go on that list to now. Wow, I'm on so. it. No, you wouldn't give it back. I I just keep it. I just treasure it, love it like it was my own. <laughs> no, no, that's then you can't. Then only that's, Scott gets to borrow a book. That's right. That's yeah, right. because they have to come back. They are my children. 
No, they'd be my children if you let them. No, I don't give you, them away. You might have birthed it, but I, I, I'll love it more than you. Then you're gonna have to adopt your own man. No one's getting you. You're never getting a book from me. Yeah. I, I've adopted many babies over the years. Not of mine. No. <laughs> but maybe like maybe like a uh, you know some of those crazy people in the hospitals uh, looking for babies I go into your house. Yeah. <laughs> oh there's so many beautiful ones here bye <laughs> <laughs> that's you alright yeah no Two you can them. have mine over to play but you have to give it back <laughs> a play date huh yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. that's okay <laughs> but um, right. sometimes, yeah, I don't sometimes I think they should be like you know you treat it like uh, Indiana Jones treat objects of uh you know, antiquity. This should be in a library. <laughs> you know, they steal it from somebody's house because they're treating it badly. Uh, it well, and you know, I used to say, I'm going to not have so many books around, and so I'll give these that I like to the library, and I could just check them out, and other people can share them. Right. And the library will make sure they all ta- are taken care of fairly well because of the penalties they can impose. Right. And so I did this, and then a few years later I went, now I'm going to check that book out again. They didn't have it. Yeah, and that was about it. the time the they were starting those book sales with extra mm. books they didn't want. Yeah. yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh, you auctioned off some of my treasured children. I was trusting you to keep them. So yeah. now my books, we have more and more. Yeah. You know, I live, in a, I live in a small town, and I... I when I first moved here, I went through some stuff, and I brought books down there. I was thinking, hey, this would be cool. It'll be, they'll put it in the, in the collection, and, and they didn't. It went straight yeah. out to the, to the sale table. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so now I'm when I bring stuff over there, I mean, back. I live in a small enough town where I know all of them. And I'm like, okay, yeah. these need to go on the yeah. shelf, and, and they'll listen to me. So it's great. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but then, then that, you know, that librarian retires, and the next person yep. doesn't have that same that's commitment. True. That's true. He has to educate them all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he they don't they, they don't buy my style of uh, fiction, you know, which means science fiction. That their, yeah. their collection was pretty small, so uh, it's getting bigger. They've got a really nice audio collection. <laughs> <laughs> and see, that's a real gift to the community. It yeah. makes me think of Ray Bradbury talking about going through all these little towns on a big trip and he would go to the library to get books and he'd find books there that he couldn't find in other places uh-huh. which is what kind of started his lifelong hatred of censorship he'd right. say this town is big enough it should have these other books you know so yep. he attributed that to censorship and so that influenced his writing but he was able to find all these books because he went to so many different libraries hmm. so good for you yeah Excellent. My favorite thing to do is when I go to a new city, you know, uh, it's just, you know, if I have a, a little extra time, where's the library around here? And just go in there and see what they've got. Because mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. you know, looking through the, you know, the online, there's OTR Cat, I guess. No, no, not OTR Cat. There's a World Cat is what it's called. Mm-hmm. OTR Cat's the same thing, but for uh, old-time radio. World Cat is a world catalog of libraries, and you just type in the book you're looking for. And it tells you what libraries have it. Um, oh. Everywhere in North America, at least, perhaps farther. Um, so I found a uh, Richard Stark novel that's been out of print since the 1970s in the Yukon <laughs> and uh, managed to do an interlibrary loan from <laughs> a wow. library in the Yukon all the way down to here. Yeah. And um, 
That was awesome. But if you don't know what you're looking for, right? If you're just looking for yeah. bugs and you don't know what you're looking for, you actually physically have to be in the place. Because browsing through a catalog online is like, you know, browsing on Google, not knowing what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of an interesting look at how that library culture is developed in that mm -hmm. place, too. Mm -hmm. And that's where you find things you never would even think of looking for otherwise. Yeah, I think it probably says a lot about the librarians as well as the community. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. You know, um, I'm taking a class up in Pocatello, Idaho, which is an hour away from me. I go up there twice a week now. And wow. um, my town has a sharing, some kind of a sharing agreement with this library. So I was able to take my library card in up there, and I can use their library. And they've got a, it's terrific for a science fiction fan. They've got all kinds of stuff. On audio, I went in there, and they have all five of the Amber series oh, nice. in unabridged Ooh. audio. And you know how much those are Ooh. worth? Those, those are, are cassettes, yeah. Those yeah. are hundreds of dollars. Those are worth hundreds of dollars each. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just neat. And they've got all of the Sandman um, not on oh, audio, but nice. all of the Sandman graphic novels. Uh -huh. So I'm starting those. I've, I only have two of them here at home. They have them in stock too. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, so it's I, like uh -huh. not having them on the shelf means communities, you know, not at, super yeah. addicted to them. I'm almost done yeah. with the first one now. Preludes and Nocturnes. Um, those are so good, man. Um, <laughs> that Neil Gaiman. I, I don't remember the pictures gonna be very much, but someday. I, I love the writing. <laughs> I love the writing. Yeah. Well, and I th think that's the advantage of a smaller town library also because I'm in Dallas, and so it's a huge library system, and I often think that there are so many books coming out, and they're trying to satisfy so many people that you don't get the smaller collections, or I'll find them on the their system, and I'm sorry, that you have to come into the main library and sit in a special room to read those, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard because I am always thinking, but everybody should get to read it. You should have it in circulation, yeah. not just for research. Right. Well, if it's a rare, rare book, and, you know, a lot of people lose their library books. I can't believe that, but it's, you know, you <sighs> lose it and it's gone forever. Yeah, because yeah. then they just never go back to the library. They yeah. don't care. It's not you know, as big I, I, I suffer from that problem where I don't appreciate things till uh, it's too late. <laughs> I, went to the, I went to the University of Arizona, um, so I was there for five years. And when I was there, um, you know, I, I was in engineering, so I wasn't in uh, English in any way. But they had a collection of science fiction that was in the rare, you know, you had to go in the rare room to look at it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I've been in there a couple times looking at all the old magazines, and they had everything on microfiche as well. And I, I can't recall why I ended up down there, but um, I remember I spent a Saturday looking at all the microfiches of all these old magazines. Um, wow. But yeah, they, cool. it's really neat. But yeah, now, of course, I can't do that. <laughs> Too far away. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know what ISU has. Idaho State, that's the one that's in Pocatello. Got to get all those microfiche on the Internet. Yeah, yeah, why not? I was just thinking about how could you get those distributed so that they're not lost, you know, so they're not just in one little spot like that. Somebody's, somebody's going to say it's violating somebody's copyright, but um, <laughs> I think turning okay. them to microfiche is going to violate a copyright or two as well. Well, surely a lot of them are out of copyright anyway. I mean, yeah. 
try and try and figure removed, it out, it's going to take you. Well, yeah. <laughs> Excellent point because you know, thank you, Sonny Bono. Oh, yeah, that's going to make started. you Don't get me started. <laughs> me and Marie Electrics, we'll just rant about it together quietly. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard so. from her lately. Is she um? What's she reading? Uh, you know, I was. <laughs> I had to give up reading blogs, a lot of blogs for Lent, and hers, unfortunately, her, not Marie Electric's, because that I just subscribed to the podcast, but um, the Aliens in This World is her blog, her regular mm-hmm. blog. And sadly, that was when I had to let go, because I was reading so many, and I was limited to so few by my stringent requirements. So, um, I don't know. But she hasn't been podcasting anything, and I don't think... I didn't remember seeing that she gave that up for Lent or anything, but she, I was she was in the middle of two good science fiction series, and I'm dying for the next ones, and they, uh, nothing's coming out. Looks like her last post was in February 2009 on her blog. Yeah. So, I, I don't know about aliens in this world. She might have more of an update over there. No, that's, but, that's actually what I'm looking at. Oh, okay. Well, so was Marie Electric, so I hope she's okay. Yeah. Maureen, are you all right? Let us know. Email me. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.